Hi, this is Pat from the Bridges team. Do you ever eat or drink more calories than your body needs? Do you ever feel you ought to exercise but don't do it? Do you ever know the right thing to do but stop short? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you will know without a doubt that you are a citizen of the human race. We begin the new year looking into the next element in the Bridges DNA, renewal, with our eight-week series titled Life's Healing Choices. Listen in as Pastor Ron King shares from Jesus' words how we can begin to shake loose from our hurts, habits, and hang-ups to live in freedom. delight, joy to have you here with us, really. I mean, um, there are a few, very few places that I would rather be really than with you, and especially this morning, no other place I'd rather be except in the Lord's presence, of course, which is promised to us, um, but right here with people who love the Lord and some of you who have yet to meet him and yet thinking about spiritual things, trying to figure it out, and us as a community who live here together by the design of God, brought together so that we might encourage each other. We're going to um, get into God's Word here, and we're going to launch into a new theme for our year. Our theme, if you've probably heard, if you're listening already this morning, that'd be good, um, is renewal, that God would take the places in my life, in your life, in our life as a church, uh, places that are broken and damaged beyond repair and hope, and dead and make them new. Not just uh, like retreads, but they would actually be made alive and new, better than ever. And they would proclaim his glory, the glory of his power to reach in and take a place that has fallen inside of me and broken and needs his touch and just repair it, just make it new. So that's what we're going to talk about this year. And what would it look like for God to take those places in our lives and restore them? Right after the service, or this service last week, we were talking about the prodigal son, if you missed it. And someone came up to me and said, you know, really, it's the story of the prodigal sons, two sons. Because both of them really missed out on the very best that the father had for them. One was struggling with bitterness and pride, and the other one was making all kinds of foolish choices, running away from the father in the opposite direction. And they're both separated from the party that God wanted them to, to enjoy, to, to celebrate with him and song and laughter and dancing in what he could do, how they could experience his love and his hope and his renewal in their life. And that's the picture that we want to proclaim to you, that, that God wants you to experience healing in the places that he needs to reach in and, and heal for us. This morning, I want to ask, start by asking you a question. Um, where do you want to see God at work in your life this new year? Where do you want to see God at work in your life this new year? And if you would be bold enough, uh, for those of you who have some kind of extrovert in your nature, turn around and share that with somebody else, if you could, where you'd like to see God at work in your life. If you're a true introvert, you just want to be quiet, that's okay, too. You could be quiet. And no one will, you know, think you're weird or whatever. But take a moment, if you would, if you could articulate that. Is there a place where you'd like to see God at work in your life this year? Go ahead. Feel free to share a bit. Tell someone around you. 
Hey, Jerry, the guy in front of you, his name is Keith, and he would love to, to talk with you. Thanks. Just points you right out. Larry, don't sit by yourself. You're not an introvert. Just grab somebody. That's good. <laughs> Hopefully, um, this will start a discussion. Perhaps you need to think more about it. Perhaps you need to think, wow, where is it? God, uh, I'm actually perfect right now. I don't think you need to be working in me. Any. And that can be some of us where we sit. Maybe a, question, a better question for us is, where are you afraid that God will butt into your life and change you? If you don't know, my Lord, this is his nature. He loves to change us because he knows that we need it. Now, how many of you are those kind of people that you do not like change? Oh, now, first service was full of it, man. People, yeah, you don't like change. You don't like stuff to be different. You like the tried and true. The problem is that though you've tried it, it's not true. That's, that's the story in Scripture, that there are places that God delights in bringing in, breathing life into for you right now. Some of you came. You have yet to experience newness of life. That is what... Jesus came to earth to bring, to reach in and to take your life, David, and make it new, to change it. And when that happens, you discover how sweet forgiveness is and his cleansing that comes in and makes, makes all that junk in your life new, the deadness of it. And some of you have known this as followers of Jesus that he loves to keep doing that with us. Keeps refreshing us and breathing life into the broken and dead places in our life. We have these, all of us have these universal cravings. Um, not that the warriors would win finally this year, although that might be one of the things you crave, or chocolate, another universal craving, but um, some more significant things, to be loved, to be secure, to be um, in our lives, to experience joy and happiness and meaning. These are universal things that cross the board all of us would love to experience. And in fact, they're placed there by the Lord God Almighty who created you and longs for you to experience in him. But we've got an issue. I know Steve has an issue, and, and I share it with Steve it's a core issue the Bible says that all have, oh, you know that, right? You know that all have sinned and we fall short of the glory of God, the glory of intimacy with him, of all that he has for us, of the life he's designed for us, of reflecting his glory to other people. We have fallen desperately short of that, of the life that God wants us to know and experience of the freedom of that. We are, each and every one of us, a sinner. And there's a couple things really at the heart of that. First, it's our nature. It's part of our human nature. Proverbs 16, 25 says, there is a way that seems right to a man. I know all of you ladies are agreeing with this verse, right? 
that seems right to a man. And in the end, its way is death. Paul puts it this way in Romans, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is far different. The gift we want you to experience this morning and this year, it's very different. It's life. It's everything that your soul desires and needs. It really is life. But every one of us, even those of us who have chosen to place our faith in Jesus and experienced his forgiveness and newness of life, have experienced the power of the cross, Calvary, that he died for us, and he in his power conquers the enslavement of sin in us and gives us freedom. Even those of us who are there, we struggle still with our nature that is fallen, with our sinful nature. And we are, as theologians say, this is not a PC word, but it's a true word, a scriptural word. We're depraved. You know what that word means? That we are from head to foot, all of us, by nature, from the very first day of our lives to the last day of our lives. We are by nature enslaved. That is, there is no escape, and I am a slave of this. That we are influenced in my thoughts, in my behavior, I am influenced and I am stained by evil. Not just, ah, it's not that good, but by evil itself. And nothing I am or do is righteous. But here's the good news before you start like bailing out of church and thinking, this is horrible, I'm just leaving here, I don't want to hear it. We have the righteousness of Christ given to us as a gift, a free gift. And we are to live in that righteousness, to experience it fully, the joy of it, and to live there. The problem is, there's no depth to the well of our denial. My denial of my nature and my denial of my activities this week the things I thought about, the ways I fell short of the glory of God, the, the ways that I sinned. Are you familiar with the uh, Darwin Awards? There's this long list of people that every year regularly do incredibly stupid things and kill themselves doing them. I know that might be a surprise to you. They thin the herd, right? They, they're... There are these things that you can't imagine. Like, why would someone possibly try to do that? Wouldn't they figure it out that this, this is horrible, this is stupid? And, the, and they give this award out every year to a person who has done the stupidest thing to kill themselves. I, it's not, I mean, for some of us who are sadistic, you enjoy it, the award. Um, here's the deal. Every one of us are Darwin Award winners. For the wages of sin is death, and we've all done it. We've all said, yeah, I think that's a pretty good idea. That sounds good to pursue this way of life and experienced death. I have a friend who um, I sat with recently who has been wrestling with pornography in their life. And as I sat and listened to him, he diminished its effects Denied it still had any power in his life. And I sat there just bummed 
grieved that, that, that he wouldn't see how destructive it is currently in his life right now. He would not own the sin of that. And I know when I mention that, some of you are feeling squirrely because right now on one of your devices is pornography. It leads, dear friend, brother, and not just brother, sisters, it leads to death. It will, it will destroy relationships, destroy your soul. Of course, the Bible says it's not just this one area of life, your broken sexuality. It's, I just think of the list. It's your greed. It's the things you pursue and your ambitions. It's, it's the way you are bitter, unforgiving toward other people. It's your greed. There's a list, right? That, that's why it says all of us have sinned. And we're all held captive by that except for the freedom that's found in Jesus Christ freedom of conquering this part of our sin. And in um, our attempts to minimize the effect of our nature and our activities, we, we try to gain control. I know most people here would admit that they're control freaks, but we are. And we try to manage our image. You come to church and try to look spiritual, whatever that looks like, like you have your act together. You try to manage the people, the relationships you have in your life, and the problems, the issues that you have, and your pain. But according to Scripture, you are not in control. Sin has its grip on you and me. That's why we need renewal. It's a process, this renewal. First, I come to faith and place my faith in Christ, and he breathes into me new life and forgiveness. But I continue to wrestle, as Paul says in Romans chapter 7, with this issue of my nature and my activities, this grip of sin on my life. And that has consequences, dear friends. There's a list of them. I'm going to list just a few of the core consequences. First, it separates me from all that God has for me and from intimacy with God himself. It separates me. And it leads to shame. When did shame first hit the world? Yeah, right after the first sin. Adam and Eve are in the garden, and all of a sudden they're scrambling, looking for the instructions for how to sew fig leaves together. What's the deal with that? Well, they were hiding. They were in shame. They didn't want to see God. And some of us have been held captive currently. Right now we're sitting with a place in our life, our broken place in our life. And we don't want to admit it to anybody. We don't feel like our small group is a safe place or another person is a safe place to, to acknowledge that. And so we hide it. And when we hide sin in our lives, it destroys us. It wrecks us. It's when we bring it out into the open before God, before other brothers and sisters that are safe, that it loses its grip on us. That's how renewal can happen in your life. And some of us are captured by fear. What would other people think if they knew that I did this? Hello. All have sinned. Every one of us struggle. Oh, I don't care what the sin might be. There's none 
that is different in its core nature. All of it separates us. All of it leads to death. There, there's no person here that is different in that. We're all the same, wrestling with this and hungering with these desires for us to experience joy and peace and forgiveness and wholeness. And that's why it's so important that we talk about this honestly. And there's slavery. The scripture actually speaks about my sin in this term, that that I am a slave to it. I am degraded by it and humiliated by it, captured by it, and nothing I can do can free me of it. Only God can do that. And sin hurts. It leads to pain in my life. Pain for my own self. Pain in my relationship with my loving Father, Heavenly Father. Pain in my relationships with my wife and with my kids and with my parents and my neighbors and the people at work and school. It just hurts. And it leads to my failure. It leads to failure in my life. I um, was in eighth grade, and all of a sudden I was struggling with my vision. I couldn't see very well. And um, so I was in this math class, and I had a sister who was really smart. She would get straight A's, and I felt this pressure to get straight A's. And, and I knew that I, was, I couldn't see the board, so I was missing all the concepts. I was really starting to really not do well at all in this class. And so I, we had a test that came, and I looked at the test. I c- couldn't figure it out because I, I couldn't see the board, and I wasn't understanding it. And so I cheated. I copied off somebody else. And God, in his goodness, he just uh, had the math teacher look up at the right moment and see me. The math teacher called me out in the middle of class. I said, Ron, come up here. So I came up to the front. I, my ears were red, you know, and I'm like, oh. And um, he just puts this big red zero on my math and said, now you need to go and have that signed by your parents. And I felt failure really for the for the first time that really stung really deep just how that was a failure sin does that it leads us to failure to that place of worthlessness but that's not where god wants you to sit he does not want you to stay there do not leave this place there We're here to experience and to celebrate the power and the goodness of a forgiving father who comes running to his kid when his kid turns and wants him to celebrate. So how does that happen for us? How does it happen? Proverbs 28, 13, and 14 says this. Whoever conceals his transgressions that is your sins, will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Bad things happen to that person who conceals it and hides from their sin. We were not made to live like this in a woman, boys and girls. Now, 
not made to live in captivity and failure and pain and slavery. So how do we get away from that? Here's the first step. Admit your need. Admit your need. Jesus says, um, a large crowd gathered around him. And they've come because they've been hungering. Because they, they have this craving to understand who God is and to leave the brokenness, the, the death that's there inside of them. And Jesus gathers this crowd on this mountainside and gives the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. And he begins it this way. Blessed or happy, those people are going to experience my joy, my life that I've designed for them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And it hooked them right away. They're like, what? That, that's so different from what I've been hearing. What I've heard is I need to do all these spiritual exercises for God to accept me. But I am not righteous, and nothing I do am righteous. According to Jesus, there's nothing I can do to experience this life unless God does this work. And so it starts here with the poor in spirit. Poverty in spirit. What does that look like? What does that mean? It means that I have no refuge but in God alone. And you were brought to a place of complete humble dependence on him so that you could experience his presence. You would know who you are before him and come dependent, and you would admit it. Now, Jesus says these words in a context. He talks about poverty and spirit in a context, and there's Old Testament context to this. And perhaps the single best verse in the Old Testament that speaks to this is found in the book of Isaiah. A wonderful book, if you haven't read it, that, that really hundreds of years before Jesus comes predicts the story of what the Messiah would look like, what Jesus would look like. And it's, it's a powerful book. And in this book, in Psalm, or Isaiah 57, are found these words in verse 15. Thus says the one, in fact, by the way, if you, you have your Bible turned there, Isaiah 57, verse 15, we're going to camp on this for a bit. Thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. There's only one like that. Who's high and lifted up, inhabits eternity, whose name is holy with a capital H. Thus says him, I dwell in the high and holy place. Now that makes sense for a lot of people. They understand that God is, is high and lifted up and holy. And it's not the place that I exist in. And also, Isaiah 57, 15 says, with him, it's a general word, ladies, includes you, who is of contrite and lowly spirit, or poor in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. So two words I want you to understand there because it's really significant to the verse. The first is revive, which we're talking about all year long. It's to breathe life into what is dead. It's to give life, to revive it. 
you're dead, you're, you're going down for the count, and someone comes to you with the paddles and goes, wham, right? In fact, if that's you this morning, we've got paddles right outside. In here, we're doing the spiritual paddle thing to each other, with each other, for the glory of God, to take that dead place and to address it, to bring life to it. And who is it? Who is it that the Lord comes near to and breathes life into? It's the contrite. And that's the second word. It's a word that we don't use much in our culture. Contrition. What does that mean? The word contrition. Here's one definition to it. Contrition is not pious emotionalism. It's not me just shedding alligator tears about, you know, how bad I am. That's not it. And it's not the feeling of guilt turned into penance. Some people believe that, okay, I'm guilty, I get that, I understand that, I've sinned, so I'm going to do these, these things, X, Y, and Z, so that God would be pleased with me, and somehow that will balance the scales. Listen, whoever preaches penance is preaching a lie, that somehow penance will earn you God's forgiveness. God's forgiveness was already earned through the act of Jesus Christ dying for you on the cross. Praise God for that and enjoy that. It's not an act that you can do to earn. And that's not contrition. And it's not repayment for the shame of my sin. I'm so sorry, Lord. Once again, I've done the same stupid thing and I'm, I've, I'm captured by this. I'm enslaved by it. I just keep going back to this one sin. God, I'm really sorry. It's not just that. Contrition is a crushed and, sorrow, and sorrowful heart's response to God for wronging him. Literally, the word means a crushed heart. Oh, God. So how do you get there? First, Look at the verse again in Isaiah 57. I see and own who God is. Isaiah begins with a description of who God is, that he is holy and I am not. He, he is the one who is high and lifted up, and I'm not. I'm low before him. I see and own who God is and who I am. I see and own what I have done, that I, I have violated God's commands and his directives and his encouragement. I violated that. And I admit that I am powerless and Jesus is all powerful. I admit there's nothing I can do about it except to turn to him. And I admit my need for his forgiveness and healing and renewal. God, this is what I need. I was talking with a friend of mine, actually listening to their story. They were trying to come to church last week, and they were on an airplane flight from JFK to come here. And uh, they got on the plane. And about an hour into the flight, coming back to the West Coast, um, this lady stands up, and there's this commotion. It's about five rows in front of them. And all of a sudden, the stewardess has come. And then um, they call for the marshal. And uh, the marshal pops up in the plane. He comes from up there. And then the guy looks out. He's sitting by the wings. He looks out, and he sees that there's two jets, one on either side of the plane, flying in formation. 
And the pilot comes on. He says, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to have to make an emergency landing. Okay, that's, that's not good news. It's never good news on a plane, right? And um, we, are, um, we still have too much fuel, but we're going to we're gonna have to fly into Detroit. Now, I, I've been to Detroit many times. It's not like the garden spot of the U.S. So they, they land in the airport, and FBI and marshal service, they come in on this plane, and they drag this lady off. And everyone's on the plane is like, whoa, whoa, what's going on, you know? That lady is your sin. It needs to be out of your life. It needs to be out of your life. It could destroy everything. It'll wreck you. So you have to admit that. Step one for all of us is to admit before the Lord, God, I need you. I, I cannot do this. I need you. And I know this goes against many of our, it goes against our nature for all of us. Because in our pride, we want to fear that we've, we've got it. I've got this. It's not that big of a deal. Why do you make a big deal about it in church? It really, I can, I can handle it. You cannot before the high and holy God handle your sin. But he has. So we have to admit it and own it. Let me encourage you to do it in two ways this week. First, take some time and just write that down. Whether that's on your computer, your laptop, whatever device you might use, or old school paper and pen. Just write down how and why you need the Lord and admit it to him. And second, this is so critical, can't skip over it. You have to share that with someone who's safe. It's why we have life groups. And let me just say this, perhaps you're in a group and you don't feel like it's safe, then get to another one. We've got a bunch of options that are out there. I strongly encourage you to get connected to a life group this morning. We also have this really wonderful system of groups called Celebrate Recovery. It, it's not for those that you might think. It's for all of us who are struggling with sin in our life, and I encourage you to investigate that. There's all these groups out there, and they are designed for us that we might take the steps necessary for us to find wholeness and joy and healing in our life and health. And you can't get there by yourself. You can't get there that way. It starts by admitting your own need before the Lord. Let me lead you right now in that exercise and then encourage you to practice it this week. Pray with me, would you please? And if uh, this reflects really honestly your spirit, even though you resist and you're just struggling with it, then just pray with me. Lord God, you are high, lifted up, and holy. It's who you are. And loving Father, I'm not. You know me. You know what sin is presently doing right now in my life. And I want to be free of that. I want to experience your joy, wholeness, and health. I need life. God, please revive me. The places that I have just been resistant and hard-hearted and 
not contrite. I pray you'd break my heart. God, bring life to me. I, I need you. Thank you so much for what you've done through Jesus that you would bring me forgiveness and come and run and embrace me and give me newness. I you know, make this long list of all my sins and hold it over my head, but you long to forgive and forget it. Come in and breathe life into my life. And we as God's people pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. For more information on Bridges Community Church, please check out our website at www.bridgescc.org.